Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to HBF. It's good to see you this morning. If you are a guest, once again, we are glad that you're with us and uh, pray that uh, you are uh, encouraged this morning in the Word of God. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well, and we miss you. Hope to be able to see you here soon at HBF. So it's been a busy weekend at HBF. Uh, for many of us, we've been at the uh, marriage conference, and uh, that was a great time. And uh, you're going to be blessed this morning as we have held over our guest speaker this this uh, weekend to preach to y'all. And it's going to be good. Uh, James DeCoker is a friend of mine. I love this brother. Uh, I met him probably, I don't know, six, half dozen years ago, I don't recall, uh, down in, uh, he was a church planner at the time in Emerson, uh, uh, Emerson, Georgia, just uh, ne- near Cartersville, where he is now pastor. And uh, my first time to preach in in uh, Georgia was at his church. I believe it was on First Timothy or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but uh, it was a good time. And uh, so I get church planning is is not for the faint of heart. And so my heart really uh, is knit with him. I appreciated uh, how excellent he was doing his church plan at the time. Very good, high quality stuff. But as uh, many of you know, uh, Pastor Joe McKeg was uh, at that time was the pastor in uh, Cartersville, Georgia at uh, Oakland Heights Baptist, which was hosting uh, the Discipleship Conference and still hosts the Discipleship Conference to this day, which plug for that. If you're wanting to get to that conference, uh, you can get online on lffellowship.com uh, and, and uh, get the info and sign up for that in Atlanta. He is now the pastor there at Oakland Heights. Uh, God called Joe McCaig up to uh, Decatur Baptist. And for some of you guys, uh, you don't know who Decatur Baptist is. Others of you that go way back, remember that the big three, I used to call them the big three, Kansas City Baptist Temple, Decatur Baptist, and Rochester. Uh, First Bible Baptist of Rochester used to have a lot of missions activity and things like that. So James comes out of kind of that DNA and that, that fellowship from many years ago, uh, key men, key ministry, key missions. And uh, and so um, he is a disciple of Joe McCaig, I believe, came up in that ministry Followed him down to, to Georgia, and I'm so glad that God allowed us to make our acquaintance. If you were at the conference, you saw that he did an excellent job of preaching. But, uh, you know, one of the things I appreciate about about James is when I called him up uh, to ask him if he would preach our conference, he was he was eager to do that. He was ready to do that. And if you were at the conference, you could see why. he was He's ready-minded. He's fit for it. Him and Stacy, uh, they love God. They love each other. They love their family, and they love the church. Uh, but I will tell you this, I have called, I have called pastors and I've literally had a pastor tell me before, that's not my thing. Um, and I was like, really? Um, it's important that that's your thing when you're a pastor. Uh, because, um, that thing that we do called marriage is like first Timothy chapter three. It's a requirement, you know? And, uh, and so James, that just spoke volumes to me. I don't think I've ever talked to a pastor who's as, as ready and I know that uh, that is also reflected in how you are stewarding that church in Oakland Heights. And uh, I really appreciate uh, that because one of the hardest things to find today in the ministry is integrity. And uh, and I really appreciate that about you and Stacy. And uh, this guy's the real deal. Um, it's good to have friends in ministry that love God, love people, and have integrity and understand the picture of Christ in the church and reflect that. And it, it is a big deal in all of our lives if we're going to reach the world for Christ that we have our lives in order. If you are single, you're not a second-class citizen. God wants to use you as well. Paul was single, so keep that in mind. But I just want to I just want to kind of set the, the caveat and kind of just let you know this guy, he's going to bring the word. But, man, uh, be praying for their church. God's got big plans for Oakland Heights and what they're going to be doing down there. they got a conference coming up in three weeks. 
Uh, and it's all about discipleship. I mean, biblical discipleship. And one of the things I like about James and, and the fact that he's the pastor of that church and he's, he's like carrying the flag for the Living Faith Fellowship on discipleship is that's really what the mission is, isn't it? It's making disciples. And so the things that we believe and have been teaching here for 21 years, uh, we're not alone. We're not the only church out there. And there was a season in my life, um, and Randy knows too, when I thought, man, we, I might just be out here in my field, you know, me and my King James Bible, my discipleship lessons, and my little Bible institute. And so I'm so thankful, man, that we have fellowship. And it's far and wide, and uh, and it's a real blessing. So uh, I want you to give James a great welcome as he comes. I'll let him introduce Stacy formally, but uh, James, come and preach to us this morning. So let me just echo those words. Uh, it is great to have friends in ministry. Uh, when when Brian came to to preach at our church, at our church plant, uh, whatever that was, six seven years ago, um, man, it was such a refreshment to me. Not only your message, I remember your message. It was from Second Timothy chapter two, and um, and and one of the greatest things uh, that he went through. If you know Second Timothy chapter two, there's several different titles or or job roles that are given uh, to disciple makers. Uh, but the first one was being a son. And in that message, God reminded me that I'm a son. And one of the great lessons that God taught me in pl- planting a church, because I am a goal-oriented person, I like to set goals, I like to reach goals, um, I want to be fruitful, I want to be effective. And God really taught me that my faithfulness was more important to him than my fruitfulness. And he controls... Uh, when fruit it comes up, but I must be faithful. And uh, anyway, that, that message just rang true with what God was doing in my life at the time. Uh, and it was a refreshing re- refreshment to me, not only in the message, but also just in the fellowship. Uh, when you're sometimes you're ch- church planting, and you may feel like that just in ministry sometimes, you're, you feel like maybe you're, you're the only guy out here trying to do this, or you feel like you're so focused on where God has you that you uh, lose sight. So I am thankful uh, for you and I told him today, man, it's, uh, it's a joy for me. I've met Brian. I've known him for a while. But to meet his uh, church family uh, is special for me. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, my wife, Stacy, came with me. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we don't get to travel together. Uh, sometimes I'm going to preach conferences or going on a mission trip, and she'll go on a mission trip that I don't go on. But this time we got to go together. So this made it doubly sweet. Uh, for us to be here. I'm thankful for her in all of the ways that God has uh, redirected my life and moved me from the place where we met and were married and we church, we were both saved everywhere we've gone and we've kind of traveled. She's been faithful and there's been a lot of challenges. Um, When you're the church planter's wife, you kind of have to learn how to do all kinds of things that you never had to do before. And each one of those she accepted uh, with strength and with grace. And so um, now she's trying to handle being a uh, pastor's wife and um, in that sense of an established church, and she does the same with that as well. I want to share with you today uh, something that God has done in my life, and what I've come to find as a pastor is a lot of times the, the things that God gives me and the things that he does in my heart are things that he's wanting for me, not just to store for myself, but to be able to share with other people. And so whenever I have an opportunity, I I want to go back and see, God, what have you taught me recently? And what, what would you have me to share to Heartland? And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5. 
Uh, that's what we're going to be today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to talk to you about this idea of being a bridge. And probably you recognize this old picture. Maybe you've seen this old picture of Jesus, the cross, being a bridge that connects a uh, sinful man to a holy God. And truly, Jesus Christ, he came to reconcile the world to himself. If you don't know this, uh, that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to have a relationship with God, to be found holy, to receive forgiveness. It is only through Jesus. In fact, he said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he is that bridge that it, that extends the gulf between a fallen man and a holy God. And what Jesus did after he died on the cross, he did so for your sins. And then he rose again from the grave and he ascended into heaven and he replaced himself. His body was replaced with the church. It is literally called the body of Christ. And now we are called to do the same, to in Jesus's stead, be his ambassadors, be a bridge between a lost world and a holy God. That's what we're called to do. And we call this evangelism, sharing the gospel. And it's quite possibly the most terrifying thing you've ever done in your life. Is anybody with me? Like some people are just super bold. It seems like they're, they're so easy. They're, their blood pressure never raises. Their pulse remains constant. They can share the gospel and it's no problem at all. But for me, it's kind of terrifying. And so if it's terrifying for you, I want you to say, I just want you to know that you're not alone in that. We're, we're afraid. We're afraid of it being awkward. We're afraid of questions that you can't answer. You're afraid of rejection. Being considered judgmental or rude. And so we have all these fears, but I want you to know that um, being a bridge does not have to be terrifying. There will always be some amount of nervousness in it, but uh, what we're going to see, I, I believe, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 is going to give you a lot of hope. It's going to give you a lot of boldness to be able to say, okay, God's called me to do this, and, and I believe I can do it. So on your study guide that uh, you have in your bulletin, uh, there's a big idea at the top of that. And so that way you just kind of know where I'm going. The big idea, if, I could, if you could remember one thing today, I want you to know this, that God made you a new creature called to be a preacher. Did you know you were called to preach? Now, like, in, I don't know how it is in Kansas City. In Georgia, people call pastors preachers. And so when I say you're called to be a preacher, some people say, not me. God hasn't called me to be a preacher. And a lot of ladies in the room say, wait a second. I thought women weren't supposed to be preachers. And certainly that office of a pastor is a, a unique calling that um, God gives men a desire for. But the idea of being a preacher, if we look it up in Scripture, we find it consistently being used with somebody who just proclaims the gospel. And this is exactly who God made you to be. And you may doubt that. You may say, not me. You don't understand. I'm, I'm an introvert. You don't understand. I, I, I can't speak that well. I stutter or I mutter or uh, my, my brain just goes blank and I can't think of what to say next. But I want you to know today, and I hope you see it from God's word, that you were actually made to be a preacher, to be a proclaimer of the gospel. And you're not believing me right now. So I'd say, let's just go to God's word and, and let you believe him. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Let's read verses 17 through 21. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will teach us. God, your people need far more than words on a page from me. They need to hear your voice today. And specifically in this area of your your commission to us, your calling for us to be a bridge to this lost world. God, they need to know who you made them to be. I pray that you would teach them today. Would you speak to their hearts and remind them of people who are around them who need the gospel? Would you open their eyes to see ways that they can be a part of bringing lost people to you. And God, you know our hearts that we're nervous about this or, or some are even terrified. God, I pray that you would see our willingness and our obedience in your great commission. God, I pray that you'd receive it as worship because of everything that we do, we do for, for your honor and for your glory. So we pray that even now that you'd be glorified. And God, I do pray for those in this room who are still in their sins. They've yet to be reconciled to you. You love them. You gave your only son for them. God, today, would you call them to salvation? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You might have already seen 2 Corinthians uh, many times, and probably verse 17, if you're like me. I, I'm with, When I was a kid, I said I, I say I have a drug problem. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. And uh, I was... I mem- my parents had me memorizing Bible verses from the time I was a little kid. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 is kind of one of those memory verses. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And what that means is if you're in Christ, what happens when a person puts their faith in Jesus, when they believe on him, is they are placed into Jesus Christ. And it says when that happens, you are now a new creature. Sure, you're, you're an entirely different person. Maybe you can look back at your old life before you were saved and say, yeah, I was, just, I'm a different person now. But even more so, you're an entirely different creature. You're not even the same being that you used to be. You're not just a horse of a different color. You are an entirely different animal. A new creature. And I'll admit, I don't know what all that means. But God does show us some things about this new creature. And it it may just blow your mind today. But they're listed at the top of, of your study guide today. That there's the composition of the new creature. When you accepted Christ, what you were comprised of totally changed. Because you used to have a live body and a live soul, but the Bible says you were born spiritually dead. And when you're saved, Jesus calls it being born again. 
And now, according to Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it says that you were regenerated by the Holy Ghost. Your spirit that was dead is given life. And so now, as a Christian, you're not just a two-dimensional person. You're a three-dimensional person. you got a live body, a live soul, and now a live spirit. Man, well, good news. you got you got a live spirit. You don't have to just obey your flesh anymore. Now, this doesn't mean that the Christian does not desire physical things. But what it does mean is he now has a desire for spiritual things. Can you recall that in your life when you got saved? And then all of a sudden you had a desire to come to church. You had a desire to pray, to read the scriptures, to know the Lord, to sing to him. Somehow there was some new element in your life where your composition just changed. And it also tells us that there's a new nature for the new creature. See, before you got saved, you possessed human nature. But when you accept Christ, according to Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, it says that God gave you his divine nature, that now you get to partake in his very nature. So Ephesians chapter 4 calls this the new man. And it goes through and says, you need to put off the old man and you need to put on the new man And it says in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man, check this out, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See what happened in that new creature? He was not just given a a new composition. He was given a new nature that the very divine nature of God would be yours. And again, this doesn't mean that a Christian is not going to uh, behave any longer in his old nature. You know, just like me, you find yourself still doing what that old man says. But what it does mean is now you have a new nature and you have an opportunity to put off the old man and to put on that new man. To live out the nature of God. It also tells us that there's a new character for the new creature. In fact, we, we read about it. Look at verse 21. It says that, that he hath made Christ him to be sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So in Christ, although we had a soul that was corrupted by sin, now you can be made a righteous saint. Man, from sinner to saint. That's a dramatic change. Being in Christ isn't just about modifying your behavior. It's not about trying harder or improving your morals. It's an entirely new creature that's created. You are made the righteousness of God. This doesn't mean that a Christian won't sin. But what it does mean is that a Christian is going to begin to despise his sin and to desire holiness and righteousness. Can you remember those things when you got saved, how your life started changing? But not only do you have a new composition, you got a new nature, you got a new character. The new creature has a new purpose. You see, before you get saved, maybe your purpose was just being happy, getting the things that you wanted, being admired by other people, whatever it was. But man, when you receive Christ, that new creature has an entirely different purpose. And we read about it in 2 Corinthians 5. In fact, let's back up a couple of verses. Look at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And that he died for all, that they 
which should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. No longer is your life's purpose about living for yourself to get everything that you want, to be everything that you want, to have everything. Now it's about Christ who died for you. He's given you a new purpose. We read about it in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians 2, like verses 8 and 9 say, salvation is not by works. It's only by grace. But then he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. You see, he made us, he, he gave us, made us a new creature. And it says we're created in Christ Jesus. That happens at salvation, not by good works. We're only saved by grace, but we are saved unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And this doesn't mean that the Christian never chooses self anymore. Sadly, a lot of times we live in the old man. But what it does mean is that every Christian will desire to serve the Lord. And the more you walk in the Spirit and the more you exercise this new creature, the more intense that desire becomes to please the Lord. It becomes consuming to where nothing else even matters in your life. All you care about is pleasing the Lord. Now listen, all the facets of this new creature, man, we don't have time to go through them. And honestly, I don't understand them well enough to teach them. But by faith, we can believe that we are new creatures. And, and by faith in God's word, we know. That who we are made has not even been um, fully realized yet. That there is still more transformation that's going to happen in this new creature. First John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Behold now, now, right now, we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. If you want to know more about what's in store in the future for this new creature, you could look at Romans 8, 17 through 25 and meditate on that passage. But here's the summary. The best is yet to come. God has even greater things in store for this new creature than you can imagine. And I don't understand it all. I don't know it all. But by faith, we believe we've been made new creatures. We haven't a new composition, a new nature, a new character, and a new purpose. In fact, that last one, the new purpose, is really the focus of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Being a bridge is this new purpose that God has given to us. He says in verse 17, behold, all things are become new. And then he says in verse 18, that same phrase, and all things... Are of God. So you need to realize that every opportunity in your life, every ability that God has given you, every experience that you've gone through, every relationship, all things are of God for the purpose of helping you to fulfill your purpose of being a bridge, of reconciling lost man to a holy God. And that probably seems a little overwhelming, like you don't, not right now, feeling equipped for that task. You're not really feeling like I'm uh, able to do what God's called me to do. So I want to show you three things from our text that I believe are going to give you boldness, 
and give you confidence that God's going to use you in this way, even though you feel insufficient. So number one in your, in your study guide is this. You are given the ministry of reconciliation. And this really is your purpose. The ministry of reconciliation, reconcile, the dictionary definition is to restore to union and friendship after estrangement or variance. Something has caused a separation and when you reconcile together, you're bringing them back into agreement. So we find this all through the Bible, demonstrating this harmony after some violation or wrongdoing. Let me run through a list really quickly. We won't take time. Maybe you want to write these references down to look them up, or you could just use a concordance to find the word reconcile. But in Leviticus chapter 6, it talks about the blood of the sin offering. The sin offering, it says, was to reconcile from sin's division. In 1 Samuel 29, it says that there's reconciling. It speaks of reconciliation of the broken relationship between Saul and David. And Matthew 5.24, it's reconciling a broken relationship. One brother has ought against another. In 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about reconciling of a husband and a wife who's departed. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 16, Jesus reconciles all people unto God by the cross of Christ. This is that bridge of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is to bring lost people back into harmony and agreement and fellowship with God. And that's what happened to you. When you got saved, Jesus reconciled you, a sinner who violated all of God's commands. And he reconciles you back to himself. So Colossians 1, 21 and 22, it says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. Jesus has reconciled you even though you were his enemy of God. You were alienated from God. And how did he do that? It says in verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Just imagine what, what Jesus did for you. You were the enemy of God. You had put yourself at variance through your wicked works. And Jesus said, I I know it's your fault, but I'm here to reconcile you back to a God who loves you. This is exactly who he's called us to be. He's given us this same ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And you're saying, I don't know. I don't know if I've received that ministry. Maybe that's somebody else's ministry, but I just don't have a heart for it. Or I don't think I'd be good at it. But look back to our text because he tells us in verse 18, he's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and, the sentence continues, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And it's been well noted that if you fit into verse 17, you've been made a new creature. Then you also receive verse 18. You get a new ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 17 says, if any man be in Christ, and you were hoping it said something different. You were hoping it says, if pastors be in Christ, they have the ministry of reconciliation. Or if deacons or or leaders or teachers be in Christ, yes, they're qualified. How about extroverts? Let's put, if extroverts be in Christ, 
Influential people. Those people with all the answers to the questions. Those people who have nothing to lose. If they No, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. God has reconciled you. And now he's given you that same ministry of reconciliation. God's given you a purpose to live out. He's given you a ministry to reconcile others to Christ. There's some things you need to know about that. Because that's the way verse 19 begins. You probably don't use this word very often, but it says to wit. All right. This means to understand, to know. So you need to understand some things about how this works. And first we find it says that God was in Christ. So you, if you're going to be a bridge, if you're going to take on this ministry of reconciliation, you've got to allow God to live in you and through you. Don't attempt to reconcile the lost world without walking with God. Listen, there, there is tremendous protection for those witnesses who are filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. But if you're not walking with the Lord and you go out and try to reach out to lost people, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get pulled down into that same gulf. You've got to be walking with God. God has got to be in you like he was in Christ. In verse 19, here's something else you need to know. It says that he was reconciling the world. And how did Jesus do that? Well, he didn't stay up in heaven. I mean, it was more comfortable there. It was more glorious there. There are angels singing and praising. Man, it's, it's wonderful up there. He came down to this dirt ball of earth, to this place where there's so much wickedness and sin and corruption because he had a purpose to reconcile man. You know, when you live in this world and you read what this book says and, and you understand who God made your character and your nature to be, you certainly begin to despise sin. And you look out and you see this world, it's easy to get jaded toward people. And, and to then huddle up in our own Christian huddles and we listen to our Christian music and we watch Christian TV and we go to a Christian school and we go to a Christian work. I got Christian friends that I hang with. I wear Christian clothes. I don't even know what that is. But listen, if, you, if you're going to be like Jesus, if you're going to take on this ministry of reconciliation, you've got to break out of that holy huddle to do what Jesus did, to talk to sinners, to touch sinners. To connect with sinners, to love sinners, to help sinners, to heal sinners. All for the purpose of reconciling them to a holy God. You need to know that. You, verse 19 continues with what you need to know. Not just that God was in Christ, not just that he came to this world, but he was not imputing their trespasses unto them. If anyone had the right to impute trespasses, if anyone had the right to condemn others, it would have been Jesus, the Holy One. But he lovingly pursued reconciliation for sinners. Rather than shunning them, he ate with them. And we, we've got to find a way to eat with lost people. To connect with lost people, to talk with them, to touch them, to heal them. Jesus saw their sin, he knew their sin but did not deter his ministry of reconciliation. 
Listen, we often get frustrated with people. We get frustrated with lost people because their lives are just diametrically opposed to God's word. And sometimes it's the appearances. You see their appearance and you think, I just can't stand to be around this. Or maybe it's their language or their social views or their political views or, or their false religion, their false beliefs. Listen, the ministry of Jesus Christ, that we are his body. And we must continue to reach out to lost people. And Jesus did so at the sacrifice of his own life. He was willing to be crucified and beaten and mocked. Oh, Christian that bears his name, are you willing to be crucified to reach lost people? That seems so, like, not even in our world, doesn't it? We hear stories about uh, Christians in, in North Korea or in China or in Bangladesh. We, we hear about Christians in Sudan and other places of the world where they suffer greatly, even martyred. And it's hard for us to even identify with that. So let me ask you, would you be willing to be mocked? Criticized? Ridiculed? Are you still willing to be a witness if it'll cost you a promotion at your job or maybe your job itself? Are you willing to sacrifice your comfort of silence? Do you care more about the eternity of lost people than you do about your own desire for acceptance? Christian, would you be willing to spend one hour a week to intentionally connect with lost people so that you could fulfill your purpose of being a bridge. God's given you the ministry of reconciliation. It's a purpose to live for. We talked to husbands and wives this weekend and we shared, listen, if if you're living for something other than God's purpose, you're going to find your life just unsatisfied, unfulfilled. There's something missing. And you could try to find that fulfillment in all sorts of purposes. Well, the same is true for you, Christian. How sad. If, if someone who's been reconciled to God makes it to heaven before the judgment seat of Christ and God said, I gave you a ministry, I gave you the gospel, I gave you the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Who did you reach with the gospel? Do you have a name that you could say, I led this person back into a relationship with you? I told this person how they could be saved, but they rejected. I was faithful in the ministry. I was reminded recently that it's my job as a pastor to prepare people for the judgment seat of Christ. And be ready. Be active in that purpose. But let me give you number two, because not only has he given you a ministry of reconciliation, that's your purpose. But it, number two is you're committed the word of reconciliation. And this is the power. He's not just given you a purpose and left you powerless. He's given you something so powerful to accomplish this purpose. Verse 19 tells us he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What is the word? Is I mean, is it that word? Reconciliation? Well, we just look it up and if we cross-reference to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, we find it's the gospel. 
That's what brings people to faith in Christ. And we find it uh, succinctly put in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that plays out in our lives in many ways as we enter into Christ's death, into his burial, and into his resurrection. But this is the message that God has entrusted to you. Romans 16 calls it the power of God unto salvation. You might think, well, I just don't know all the answers. And you don't, and I don't either. But what we do have is the power of God, that Jesus died for their sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And if you believe that, and if you'll receive Christ, you'll be saved. And you don't have to have the most eloquent presentation. You don't have to have all the answers. Praise God. You've got the power of God. The gospel. And it's been committed to you. It's been entrusted to you. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. God's given it to you to use. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, but we were allowed of God. Oh, it's a privilege to be put in trust with the gospel. And so we speak. Not as pleasing men, check this out, but God which trieth our hearts. You know what God does in committing to you the gospel, the word of reconciliation? He's trying your heart to see if you're wanting to please men or you're wanting to please God. Oh, it reveals it. If we care more about pleasing men, what will we do with the gospel? We'll hide it. We'll be silent. We'll change it so it may be more appealing to people. But if we seek to please God, then we speak it boldly and we speak it as we ought to speak. We're allowed to be put in trust with the gospel. God's let us do this and he's trying our hearts. But I have in your notes some alarming statistics that when God tries our hearts, he's going to find that we seek to please men. More than God. There in your, your study guide, 95% of Christians have never led a soul to Christ. Less than 2% of Christians are involved in the ministry of evangelism. That they're actively in the work. Listen, 89% of ministry leaders, pastors, and deacons have zero time reserved on their list of weekly priorities for going out to evangelize. Somehow we, we've got distracted by all the features and all the functions of Christianity and we've missed the purpose. God has placed you in a circle of people who need the gospel. God's like warning them, there's judgment coming. There's a gulf and you are separated from your God. You're going to spend eternity in hell. But there's good news, the gospel. And he's given that to us. He's entrusted it to us for our family members, for our friends, for our fellow students, for our coworkers, and for strangers that we meet in restaurants. They need the Lord. 
you know, I'm a Gen Xer. And one thing I found is every generation likes to pick on another generation. In my church, we have a lot of millennials. We have a lot of Gen Zers. Uh, we have uh, everybody kind of in the spectrum from uh, the baby boomers on. And hallelujah for that. But some uh, a book came out called Rethinking Evangelism. It had some statistics about millennials. So I've included it for you. Millennial Christians know more unbelievers as close friends or family members than older generations. That Almost every single one of the millennial believers believes sharing the gospel is part of their Christian faith. Millennial Christians are the most confident in being able to share their faith compared to other generations. And yet, 47% of them believe that it's wrong to impose or to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that faith. So let me just put you at ease. If you are in that mindset, even if you're not a millennial, you might associate, you might identify with some of those thoughts. That you understand that God's called us to, to evangelize. You've, you know how to share the gospel, but you, you feel that it's kind of wrong to impose your beliefs on someone else. But let me just assure you, that God has given you a ministry of reconciliation and he's given you the word of reconciliation. And it is absolutely right to confront them with the truth that one day they will understand that if they die without Christ, they'll die without hope. And then for eternity, they'll be separated from God in torment. You are given the ministry of reconciliation. That's your purpose. You're committed the word of reconciliation. That's your power. But God has also given you a position. So number three is this. You are called an ambassador of Christ. That's what verse 20 said. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. The dictionary says it's a diplomat representing his sovereign to a foreign land. But you know what's even richer? When we just look up the definition in the Bible, we see how God uses it in his word, and we find that the, it's consistently used to describe temporary representatives. Almost always in the Bible, they're seeking peace and light of impending destruction. Did you get it? People are headed for destruction, and God wants peace with them. And so he sends ambassadors to this foreign land, earth, to tell people so that they can be reconciled, so there can be peace and not destruction. Isaiah 33, 7 calls them ambassadors of peace. The idea is that man has transgressed against the holy God. He's created variance and enmity and as an ambassador or a messenger of peace, it is my, my calling, my job, my position to be an ambassador, to let those people know God doesn't want destruction. He wants peace and he wants reconciliation. But if you don't accept, there will be destruction. That's who God's called you to be. I ran across, and I'm in, um, in my reading, I do a uh, 52 weeks of pursuit uh, with our church, and then I read a proverb a day. 
Proverbs chapter 13, 17 catches my attention. It says, A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health. You see what God contrasts there? A wicked messenger and a faithful ambassador. Well, well, what's a wicked messenger? Well, maybe it's one that behaves in a way that misrepresents his king or dishonors his king. Or maybe it's one who has a message of peace but doesn't deliver it and ensures that there will be destruction. But God is contrasting a wicked messenger with a faithful ambassador. And, and I ask you again, if when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, how will he find you? Are you a faithful ambassador? Do you carry and proclaim the message of your king to a foreign land? Second Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 3 says, But if our, God, if our gospel be hid, it is him hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, an, an ambassador isn't concerned with how his audience receives the message. He, he seeks to represent his king well and to convey accurately his king's message. This is our job. In verse 5 it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for his sake, for Jesus' sake. So an ambassador doesn't promote himself. He doesn't preach himself or seek his own honor. He promotes Christ. He doesn't serve himself. He's a servant of Christ. He goes on in verse 6 and says, For God who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, an ambassador isn't concerned with being accepted in the foreign country. His acceptance is in his other country with his king. He's part of another kingdom. And you and I have been made ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What an esteemed position that he's given to you. And listen, while you're in this foreign land, if others reject you, if others reject the message, if others reject our king, that's okay because we're only temporary messengers. And soon we're going back to our kingdom, to our country, to our king. And that's where we'll find acceptance. And that's where it will matter whether we have honored our king in our behavior and in our message. So God's called you to be a bridge. And I need, I need to take you to one more place to help you see what this looks like. Would you turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22? We don't have time to, to study the whole chapter, but man, there's so many parallels between our country and Israel in this time. Ezekiel is speaking of Israel's sin and their impending judgment. If you were to look at verse 26, it says the priests, those are the uh, religious leaders. Yes, Ezekiel 22. In verse 26, it speaks about the priests. These are the religious leaders. They call unholy things holy. 
and holy things they call unholy. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like the country which we live in? In, in verse 27, it speaks about the princes. That's the government. It says they shed blood, destroy souls, and get dishonest gain. What? Corruption? Sounds a little familiar. It talks about the prophets in verse 25 and then in verse 28 that they take possessions. These are the preachers. They take possessions. They devour souls. They preach messages not from God's word. He talks about the people in verse 29. They oppress others. They steal and they afflict immigrants. And then he gets in verse 30. Does God want destruction? Well, let's find out. Verse 30 says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy them. But I found none. Therefore, have I poured out my indignation upon them? I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. You've got to see that he wants a man who will do both. Uh, make up the hedge and stand in the gap. You see, a bridge must be fully connected to both sides. You must be in prayer and walking with the Lord and also reaching out to lost man. And he wants a man to stand in the gap. She said, I sought for a man, but I found none. As much as the abundance of sin sounds like our society, so does the absence of a witness. A man that would stand in the gap. And through time, this seems to be a consistent problem. What's really lacking in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, Jesus looks out at multitudes and, and he looks on them and he sees them as sheep having no shepherd. They don't have a man that would stand in the gap for them. And, but Jesus looks at them and he sees them in their state. And instead of being filled with indignation, it says he's moved with compassion. Is that how you see this world? When you see their sin, do you, are you burdened? You have compassion. In John chapter 5 and verse 7, it speaks about a man who, who wants to be healed. And, and Jesus asks him, do you want to be made whole? He says, I have no man that will help him. In Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's busy. He's, he's an industrious man. He's got a lot of responsibilities in charge of all this treasure. And he's traveling. Surely he doesn't have time for the gospel. But Philip gets in the chariot with him. And notices that he's reading the word. Can I tell you, you'll never know what God's doing in somebody's heart until you make a bridge with them and you start a conversation and realize God's already at work in their life. They just need a man to say, let me show you what you're reading. And he begins and he preaches Jesus to him. And this man receives Christ. I sought for a man, but I found none. And I wonder... Can God find someone to take the gospel to your neighbor? They go out, they check their mail, you see them driving in. Maybe you're even irritated because of the sound of the music or the things going on in their home. But I wonder if you'll be moved with compassion. Your relative without Christ is going to die and go to hell. And can God find a man who will stand in the gap? Your boss and your co-worker separated from God by their sins would you stand in the gap? Your classmates, your teammates are guilty before God. Will you speak the word 
of reconciliation. You see, destruction is coming. But it's not what God wants. So He sends a messenger, you, to be a bridge between a lost man and a holy God. If you don't share the gospel with your neighbor, who will? If you don't share the gospel with your family member or your teammate or your coworker or your fellow student, how will they be saved? But God has given you all that you need to be. In fact, you were made for this. You were made for it in your very creature. That you were created to be a witness. He has given you a ministry, the purpose. He has given you a word. That's the power of God, the gospel. And he has given you a position of being an ambassador. God made you for this. Who is it that needs the gospel around you? Would you bow your heads in prayer? I want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord. Would you take a moment to pray? Would you be so bold as to pray for an intentional friendship with one lost person? God, say, God, bring me in, into contact with one lost person. Maybe you already know that person. Maybe God would lay that person on your heart right now. Would you pray that God will show you how to be a friend? Pray that God gives you boldness to speak his word. And pray for boldness. Pray that God would give fruit. That they would hear the message and be saved. And maybe you're here today, still separated from God in your sin. Is God calling you to be saved today? Is he telling you that he sent his only son to die in your place and he doesn't want you to go to hell? He's, he's made a way of salvation if you'll receive Christ. Would you respond to him today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the most important thing we can do today is offer you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as our brother James, our pastor James was preaching, he made it clear that there is a reason to be an ambassador because there is, there is a penalty for sin and a judgment to come. And God doesn't want us to face that. That's why he sent his son Jesus. And so this morning, if you have never received the gift of eternal life, God needs you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. He desires you to be saved, even this moment. And if you're here this morning and the Spirit of God has made that clear to you, that you need to be born again, you need to receive God's forgiveness, maybe you've never, maybe you've never received it because you don't feel like you deserve it. And guess what? You don't have to earn it. None of us do. None of us could earn it. We fall short. God wants you to receive the gift because he loves you. Maybe you've never been loved like that before. None of us have. It's a love that's divine. It's a love that is far surpassing any other love in this life. And it's a love that's secure. God wants to secure your heart today through this message. It's called the gospel. That Jesus loved you. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life, died in your place. And he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And he's alive right now. And he sent forth his spirit to call us. So if you're here this morning, you're like, Brian, I need to be saved. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Anyone at all? My, in my, on my left, in the middle, to my right? 
Today is the day of salvation. You don't want to put it off. God loves you. He wants to die. He's already died on the cross. He is calling you. If you're here this morning and you're like, Brian, I, I, I am convicted about that. Just, just let me see your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody? I want to see who you are so I can pray for you. All right. Beloved, are you in a situation where you prayed for that person, that, that, that friend, that neighbor, that loved one that needs to be saved? Can you be that ambassador today? Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer as we stand. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts to encourage us to accomplish your mission and your power for your glory, that we would be the ambassadors, that we'd stand in the gap, that we'd be intentional about the gospel outreach that you called us to. Lord, give us the grace to take the gospel where it needs to go on time. Lord, if we don't do the work of an ambassador, uh, Lord, we have to come back. It's going to be hard to come back in Revelation chapter 19 if we haven't done the work of an ambassador today. Oh, Lord, let us give everyone every opportunity to succeed. Help us to be faithful to share the gospel this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you call your saints to, to obedience. Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do today, that we would do that. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we continue in the attitude of prayer. If you're here this morning, you're like, Brian, I need to respond today. I need to come forward. I need to lay a burden down. Perhaps you need to, to uh, join the church. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe there's a decision in your life that you really need to take and make today. This is a time when you can just step out. Maybe you need to step out and receive the gift of eternal life. You can just come right on forward right now. Just step out from where you are. Nobody's looking around, and we'll receive you. There's people here to pray with you. If there's a decision that needs to be made, now is the time to make it. If you need to make a public profession, a decision, now is the opportunity to do that this morning. Man, praise the Lord for what we've heard. You know, we often we don't share because we don't care. I pray that the Lord would enlarge our hearts this morning and uh, and that we would be the ambassadors that he has called us to be, that we'd make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Heavenly Father, as we continue in an attitude of prayer, I pray, God, that you would just con- continue to encourage your church and our identity. Lord, as sons of God, as ambassadors, Lord, as uh, soldiers, Lord, there's so many different attributes that you have given us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would embrace what we are as a new creature in Christ. Lord, thank you for creating us and making us new. And, Lord, giving us the power to share a message that makes other people new. Lord, thank you for the reminder to be intentional about our gospel outreach. Lord, I pray, God, for those that are in the ministry that we have called IGO, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us through messages like this. And, Lord, all of us would be intentional in our ministries to remember our purpose. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for this reminder. I thank you for calling us to be ambassadors for Christ. I thank you for uh, the work that you're doing in our lives, whether it's our marriages to be witnesses, Lord, whether it's our, our even our understanding of who we are. Lord, we are to share this great love that you've given us. How can we how can we keep it to ourselves, Lord? How can we if we're really changed, if we're like you? You did everything you could to reconcile us. Lord, may we be in the business of reconciling others also. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for what we've heard. We're encouraged today in your word, and we ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.